Penn State Conversations is a podcast produced by the Donald P. Bellisario College of Communications. Episode topics range from the people, programs, and events that shape the Bellisario College to discussing key aspects of life in the professional world for young and upcoming communications alumni. Please enjoy this episode of Penn State Conversations. Hi, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Penn State Conversations. Today, we'll be chatting about startups, what they are, what's the appeal, and what's it like to work for one. I would like to introduce you to today's guest, Hallie Stockton. Hallie is a 2008 Penn State journalism and political science graduate currently working at Public Source. So welcome, Hallie. Hi. Yes. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so I have been at Public Source since early 2012. Uh, I'm, it's a nonprofit media outlet in Pittsburgh. Uh, I was actually the first reporter hired at the organization um, when, when we weren't, you know, really even sure what topics we were going to cover. We just kind of had the mandate to fill in um, the in-depth and investigative news that our region was starting to lack uh, because of a decline in subscription and ad revenue. So came, uh, I came on and started to, uh, started to report on several issues from um, diversity in government to um, issues for people with disabilities, aging issues. Uh, and then, you know, one of the most interesting projects I ever did here was uh, focused, uh, it was a large data project focused on um, tracking the psychotropic prescriptions given to juvenile offenders in the state. So a lot of what we've done over time is, uh, and, and this kind of happened organically, but also just as, you know, what journalism in, in many ways is here for, is we focused on people who are often vulnerable, marginalized in some way, um, and, and need a safety net. So we are often telling their stories, helping to tell their stories, uh, and also assessing the uh, social systems in place and making sure that they're, that they're, you know, offering the support that's needed and that the people in charge are being held accountable to um, providing that service. Uh, in 2015, I became the, the managing editor of the organization. Um, so that was pretty exciting as I was uh, reprising my role of being managing editor at the Collegian, which, which I was, uh, had a great time doing. Um, so it, it's clearly a little bit different, um, it, but it's, it's really exciting to be in that role and, and working closely with a lot of really talented reporters and um, have my hands in, you know, the photography and videography and uh, all the visual elements of how we um, present uh, information. Um, with it being long form, in many in many cases, we have to make sure that it's also compelling. So um, we take a, put a lot of care into how we're presenting information so that it's accessible to everyone. That's amazing, and. Remind me, Publix were started, what was the year that the, the company launched? Um, because I think I'd love to chat a little bit about different phases that 
that a, a startup goes through and just kind of learn a little bit about when you entered um, public source, where, where was the organization at versus where it is today? Sure. So I don't know all of the like official terminology for startup phases, but when I joined, it was like basement floor. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. in, in fact, we were in just like a room that with just like a couple of like tables thrown together, old desks, um, you know, the unopened boxes. And we were just kind of like, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Let's figure <laughs> this out. Um, so uh, now that, so that was in, um, you know, 2011, 2012. And, uh, and, you know, we, we had some, some growth um, there in the first few years, um, but we had a different distribution model. Um, whereas we would produce uh, the journalism, we had a website, we would put it up there, but for the most part, we were relying on providing our journalism through already established outlets. So we were offering our work and really packaging it up to be quite easy for the newspapers and radio stations and other websites to be pushing it out to their established audiences. Now, about when actually right about the time I became managing editor, um, I we decided to pull back on that, um, and it, not that it wasn't um, something of value. We still offer our work to be republished. Um, we just have some more specific guidelines, and we don't um, kind of package it up and spend a bunch of time doing that. But we decided it was more worthwhile for us to be looking at our own website as a destination and something where um, we could be cultivating an audience that is looking for specifically our kind of journalism. So um, in the last few years, I would say that we've gone through somewhat of a renaissance um, in that we pulled back uh, on, on that part, on that, you know, distribution model. And we also, um, we also were doing a lot of kind of statewide reporting at that time, as best as we could do from, you know, being a few people in, in Pittsburgh. And now we're focusing more on the Pittsburgh region. So we're being a, a little bit more hyper-local, although um, we still will cover uh, stories in like a seven or eight county area. And, um, and what we found is that people really identifying with us more, um, (laughs) we, we like to laugh about like, you know, Pennsylvania is, is no Texas, like the, (laughs) the Texas Tribune is able to like have that Texas identity and everyone across that gigantic state feels that. But in, in Pennsylvania, it's, it's, I don't. I don't think that I would be going too far out on a limb to say that people don't identify so much as Pennsylvanians as they do as, you know, being from Philadelphia or being from Pittsburgh or, you know, being from Erie or other other places in between. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that was a, a really crucial change. Um, and our readership has, over the last couple of years, has tripled, um, we think partly because of that, uh, that narrowed focus. Um, and, and in addition, just our, um, our efforts to, uh, to always improve our, our in-depth and investigative journalism and also 
our, um, our inclusion of the community. Uh, we lend our platform to uh, storytellers who are not, you know, traditionally trained um, to tell their personal stories in first-person essays. And we, we work with them directly. As editor, I work with, um, with people directly on telling their stories. And they're some of the most popular pieces on our site. And so that's another um, part of, of our growth is that every time we have, you know, a, a, another great piece of content in the form of a first-person essay, it's, it's kind of reaching a whole new segment of, of our potential audience. Um, as we continue to see that, we're also trying to um, improve our, our business operations um, and, and have, uh, are putting more effort into um, thinking about how we can support the journalism through, um, through fundraising and, and other opportunities. No, that's a, that's amazing, and it's kind of interesting to hear um, because all startups are different. And when I was thinking back to where you started with saying you're like, I'm not really sure the right terminology. To be honest, I can't say I'm very super well versed in it either. But even before we decided to do this podcast, I had kind of looked up a definition of startup, and it came up as a, a company in its first stage of operations. So um, I think, you know. I, I see um, I see the startup mentality and pieces of startups carry on before that because clearly um, similar with public source you know we here at on location aren't in our first stage of operations anymore but in my head we are still so much a startup because some days I feel like we're not far beyond that that basement floor and that starting block from where we jumped off um, but it's so cool to hear about public source and the different growth and kind of where the growth comes from within um, your story because each startup story is so individual to it and the people that are driving it forward and it really just relies so much more heavily on the people than I think sometimes when you come into the picture of a larger organization that's already well-oiled machine and you're just hopping into a spot that's been filled five times over you know that doesn't exist in a startup so I I definitely related to kind of where you were coming from there. Um, but why do you, and, and have you ever spoken to folks um, who are interested just vaguely in kind of the startup space or something that's being created from scratch? What do you think the, the appeal is? Well, I, I mean, you, you really um, communicated some of it in that uh, when, when you're at a startup, you're kind of filling a position that has has never been filled in some cases. Um, there was no managing editor when when I started at Public Source. We had, you know, our our founding editor, like the director, but um, this was a, a role that I was able to step into and um, kind of say, like, you know, what's what I have um, to oversee and how I want to do it and create those um, those systems, the infrastructure to make that happen. Uh, when I was working at the Sarasota Herald Tribune, there was just no way that I was going to be able to be in a position like this after, you know, seven years in the field. Um, there were people who had been in the field for decades who were finally getting into that position. 
And I think that to be, to have this opportunity uh, earlier in my career has, uh, I'm very, I feel very fortunate about that. And, um, and I think that's one of the key benefits of, of working in a startup is really finding those areas and making the case for, um, for why you can fill a need. Um, you can really find your, your, your niche. Um, it's not already, you're not just a, a gear in the bigger operation. Right. You can, um, you can kind of create what your, what your position looks like in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I can't say enough about what, what taking the chance on a startup has done for my career. No, I think that's, um, that's great feedback. And, and yeah, you know, it is the definition of, you know, do you want a job? Go create it. Um, because that's a lot of conversations when, when groups are really, truly startups, you have to prove your value and then go out there and make a spot for yourself and really build it. Um, I think when I entered on location, we were probably one step beyond that where there was a role I was coming in to fill, but similar to you, it was a role that had not existed before. Um, they didn't have a marketing department. So it was like, what does marketing look like to us and what do we need to, to build that vision and, and make that a reality? So I, I totally get that piece. And I do think for younger folks, especially, you know, startups are a ton of work because everything is being built from scratch. So to have the ability to put that work in and, and make it what you want to be, you know, you can have a huge impact at a very young age in a very big way, which is really cool. Um, I guess the, the flip side of that, you know, what would you say are the greatest challenges in working at a startup, you know, and working in a startup environment? Oh, <laughs> there, there are so many. Um, <laughs> I, I think the, for me, the number one uh, challenge that continues to come up for, for our team is um, really wanting to be like seeing that, that goal and wanting to be there faster than our resources allow us to get there. You know, there, there are things that we're like, we know that that's within reach, um, but over, like, we're just kind of limited a little bit over time. Um, and have to kind of incrementally get there. And I, I'm sure that people at not working at places that are not startups feel similarly sometimes. Um, but it's just, it's something that it's like, we could, we could be there. We know we have the systems in place. We know we have this um, aspiration and the ability. Uh, and it's just kind of like, there's a little bit of like growing pains um, in that way. Uh, additionally, um, I think you know there are uh, when you're when you're kind of elbowing your way onto the scene, you kind of um, there are others in, in the same uh, same area that kind of you know try to figure you out. And in media, um, you have uh, sources who. Um, who are not always used to or um, kind to like the the new kid on the block, I guess you would, could say. Um, and you have to uh, you have to you can't just rely on having a legacy name. You have to tell them, you know, who is public source and uh, and and establish credibility really quickly so that you can get your job done here. 
Uh, so I think that those are a couple of the, the major challenges. Um, a lot of things come up here and there, um, but uh, nothing insurmountable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. We had a similar experience in terms of just telling our story and, and, and explaining who we are, because typically when a company tells a story, it's this story that has been bred through years and it's built you up to be who you are. You know, you kind of have to put a vision and a story out there and figure out a way to drive some awareness. And I think even for us in the first couple of years, you know, we invested a lot in that, you know, from time and from money into just driving awareness as opposed to, you know, just driving our day to day business and transaction. So I definitely um, relate to that. And I think for for me, you know, the greatest challenge um, at working at a startup is that every day is different and different in a big way. And I know a lot of times a lot of people say that about their job. And I think I've always said that about my job, but I never really understood what that meant till I worked here at On Location because we're constantly growing, you know, our the vision for who we want to be and the process of how we get there and the process and how we work together changes every day and evolves as we evolve and we grow because we're constantly acquiring it and expanding our vision for who we we are and who we want to become. So I think being able to change and respond to that is a challenge uh, that we see every day and just figuring out how to constantly turn everything into a positive and a growth opportunity and to not be frustrated by the need to constantly change because, you know, that you know, in the first few years, that'll never change for us. We're not this age-old established brand that's like putting its feet up and doing the same thing every day. You know, we constantly are evolving to respond to the idea of growth. Um, so I think on, on my end, that would probably be our, our greatest challenge. Um, I know we touched on it briefly, um, but are there any other kind of more tangible examples for our folks who are listening and who work for either more tenured companies or, or interned at more tenured and established companies. What, um, what else other than the potential to sculpt your own um, career a bit, what else would uh, attract them to a startup and what else would kind of separate tenured companies from startup companies? Well, I mean, one thing that, one thing that I can, quickly think of is, um, you know, that at, at larger, uh, more established companies, you typically have like a, a set, like set policies across the board. Um, and that can, you know, ranges from like vacation to um, uh, like uh, performance reviews. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and there's like very specific assessments for those. Um, and I think that you see some, you see that also in, in startups. Um, but if they aren't, you know, if they have set them up, um, but I, I get the sense that a lot of startups are, are more flexible because they're not trying to steer a, you know, a cruise liner. They're, they're just kind of, they're, they're, you know, running a, a much smaller boat <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to stick, stick with that analogy. Um, so they're, they're a little bit, at least I can speak on behalf of public source. We're, we're more flexible, uh, 
and nimble uh, with these, these types of things. Um, the way we do performance reviews is not, you know, how I got performance reviews at the, at the Sarasota Herald Tribune where, you know, there was a, there was actually like a computer program that they went through and um, marked things down and went through a whole process with, with me. Um, we actually, we have, you know, quarterly like coffees with, uh, with each of our staff members to, to talk with them, not so much in a grilling them kind of and labeling them as a number on some, you know, scale, but, but really checking in on, on how things are going, um, from, you know, and asking questions like, like, what are your barriers? Um, and, and, you know, how can we help? And what is morale like? I don't think I was ever asked what, what is staff morale? Like, how is, how are you feeling about your job before I, before we started asking the question of our, um, reporters. So, uh, I think that there's a little bit more a uh, more flexible mindset and a mindset that um, that you have to uh, when people take the leap into startups that you have to make it um, an appealing place to work. I I couldn't agree with that assessment more. Yeah, I actually the more you were talking about, it, I was thinking it's probably harder. <laughs> to start working at a startup and then go to a much more tenured company than the other way around. Um, Because I think my reaction when I got here was like, I always kept expecting there there to be a a form and a template that I had to fit into. And when I would ask, it would be like, oh, like I'm looking for this. And they're like, if you want it, you can create it. Um, And I don't mean that in a negative way. It was just, you really had to think about everything from, you know, services that the company needs in terms of printer maintenance and like setting us up to get us to be a functioning body you know that was step one and then step two really was like things like performance reviews and I think our first year here as a team because we didn't have an HR department yet um, so as a team we decided to do self-reviews that we could then discuss as a group Um, and it was actually the most enjoyable review I've ever had because usually you're used to fitting into a rubric that goes to people that do all these different things and it's hard to kind of tie to what you do and everything we chatted about was so specific to us Um, and it was more of a a discussion starter on like what did we get out of this year where could we improve what do we want to do more of next year Um, and that is a a really fun way to guide that vision and make it less corporate and less formulaic and so much more direct and inclusive I think Um, so yeah, definitely endless opportunities to just sculpt your own destiny. <laughs> and I mean, usually that's good. I mean, I, I will say that, you know, sometimes it, it can, it can backfire in, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, obviously, like if you don't have policies that, um, if you don't have an HR, you know, I, we went through the same thing. If you don't ha- if you're having a problem and you don't have an HR that can, or, or in our case, being a nonprofit, a, a board, um, you don't have a conduit if you have like a big problem and, and that could be uh, problematic, Um, you know, and, and likewise with other policies, like it, you know, a lot of people do like to have clear expectations and, uh, and if you don't have those and you don't know, like you can't, you, you may not have an argument to say, well, I'm matching the expectations. So why am I being treated this way? Then you're being put in a vulnerable situation. 
Um, so it, again, it comes back to like the kind of a trust level of who you're working with and, and kind of how um, like the the workplace is, is being framed and who is framing that. Um, but, you know, it's just the flip side of the coin there just to be uh, balanced. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Um, and I think just thinking through that every functionality in a job has value. So if you don't have people in those roles, <laughs> you're not receiving that value of HR feedback and of stuff of stuff like that as well. Um, and from even our standpoint, as we were starting, because we didn't have every role staffed, we were spending so much more money in our first few years on using outside consultation to fill some of these voids or, um, you know, keeping people on retainer because we didn't have humans that served those functions. So yeah, there's definitely detriments to not having everything fully built and ready for you too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's definitely, it's got its highs and flows. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anything else you wanted to, to ask? I know, um, I know. obviously, you've had a much more tenured career at your startup than I've had at mine. Um, but anything else from a culture perspective and how you feel it shapes your workplace in the day-to-day? Uh, I mean, I think that, I think that culture of um, the workplace is becoming increasingly more important um, to be able to attract and retain talent um and and just make it generally like pleasurable to be be part of something um i think people are seeking that out much more and and flexibility um and and really it 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 can be something as simple as you know here at public source where we actually mandate our uh our employees to work out of the office at least three days a month. Um, so, so that, you know, it kind of plays a couple purposes in that, um, it gets our reporters out into the community and, uh, or, you know, they can work from home and, and have a little bit more of a relaxed day or maybe uh, have a little bit more uh, ability to concentrate. And it just, um, you know, it, it lends itself to that feeling that, we know you're working hard and we appreciate it. And this is something that we think is important for your, for your work life balance. Um, so it, I think culture is, is everything. And it's something that we even put in, uh, we even write about in job descriptions. And when we're going through job interviews, like we are this week, we, we are assessing people for um, kind of what they're looking for. And also if they're, if they're kind of a cultural um, fit as in like they care about um, about a workplace that is flexible and they care about um, working collaborative, collaboratively with others. Yeah, I think you actually gave us a, a great bookend to our conversation here. You know, you, um, you know, we do this podcast every couple of weeks to kind of help share our stories and show you a little of the opportunities in front of you. But at the end of the day, you have to know you and the culture you're looking for and really go find a company that speaks to you and makes sense um, and resonates with you from every aspect out there. So um, thank you, Hallie, for joining us today and really telling your story um, and just sharing a little bit of startup life with us. Um, And Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening.
This episode of Penn State Conversations was presented by the Young Alumni Council of the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications Alumni Society Board. The Alumni Society Board aims to help elevate the stature of the Belisario College through dialogue with faculty, students, the dean, and associate deans. The Young Alumni Council also aims to foster a strong connection between young alumni and the college to inspire lifelong support and involvement. For more information or to learn how you can get involved, please visit belisario.psu.edu slash alumni.